I wanted to uh, address this topic for a while, and this hopefully will be not just one, but maybe other other shiram on this topic as well. And it's really the question of the role of authenticity, if you will, or vibrancy in, in Jewish life. And that is to ask the question, does the Torah care about whether or not we are vibrant and authentic, or does the Torah not? Does God care about whether or not we are dead internally, emotionally, spiritually, or does God, uh, does it make a difference to Hashem whether or not we're alive? And I, I, obviously, I mean, I think it's, hopefully it's obvious that Hashem cares very much if we are dead or alive. Um, we're not talking about physiologically, we're talking about spiritually and emotionally. One of my favorite divrei Torah that they say is they ask the question, I heard this in the name of one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, but they say that um, when, we, when we pray for rain on Shemini Atzeres, we, have, we say Tfilos Geshem, we pray for rain. So one of the things that uh, we say at the end, we say during Hazar Sashatz, we say, um, at the end of that Tfilos Geshem, we say, L'chaim, V'lay L'amaves, L'bracha, V'lay L'klala, L'sayva, V'lay L'razim. And then everyone says, Amen, and then when we move on. So the question is, is that if you look in some of the Sidurim, it says, L'chaim, V'lo L'amaves, that we pray for rain, the rain should be for Chaim and not for death. That, that when we ask for gashmis and we ask for material things, that the material things should be for life and not for death. So the word lichayim and lamaves, so lamid with a pasach underneath it, when you say lamaves, lamid with a pasach underneath it, is shorthand and slang for the word loy. Which means that if you read the words l'chaim v'loy lamaves, what you're saying is it's that we, we're asking Hashem for rain, l'chaim for life, and not for not death. Lo lamaves, not for not death. We say we say in short, the, the, it says in Shulchan Aruch that when you say zechreinu l'chaim melechavitz v'chaim on Rosh Hashanah, when you when you say when we ask Hashem to remember us for life, so we say we have to say zechreinu l'chaim. With a with a shva, lichaim. You can't say lachaim. Zechreinu lachaim sounds like you're saying, "Remind us, loichaim, not for life." So one of the Lubavitcher asks, when we daven for Geshem, we say lachaim v'loy lamaves. Why does it say in many of the Sederim it says lachaim v'loy lamaves with a pasach under the lamid, not with a? It should be lamaves. So he answers that. There are, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people in this world that are born and they live their entire lives from the moment that they're born until the moment that they die, essentially being the same, but they biologically grow, their situation changes, hopefully they, they are engaged in uh, higher level um, maturity, but essentially they remain the same people. And then there are people that are born, and from the moment that they're born, they begin developing, they begin having a life. Their vibrancy is sparked at every stage differently. They develop and continuously change themselves. And from the moment that they're born to the moment that they die, they can live in the same exact place and really have nothing situationally change. But from the, every moment, they are someone different. 
So he says that when we daven for Geshem, when we daven for rain, when we daven for material things, we daven that Hashem give us rain for life and not a life that's constituted by the fact that we're not dead. Don't give us material things. Don't give us good things in life just for us to survive not being dead. Give us a life that is vibrant. Give us a life that is filled with life. We want to be people who from the moment that we're born until the moment that we die, we have the capacity to have an openness to be alive. So what I want to discuss is really the concept of deadness and where we see deadness in our lives, specifically where we see deadness in our religion. That's really, really what I, what I would like to uh, encapsulate tonight and to recognize and see some sources that, that um, will make the case for Hashem saying to us that underlying everything that there is about religious life, underlying everything that there is about having a relationship with God, is this question of, are you dead or are you alive? That's, that to me is the big question. It's not so much, are you religious? It's a question of, are you dead or are you alive? So if we would change the, 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 the paradigm from, are you from, to are you not from, if we move away from that and we ask the question, are you alive or are you dead? Are you living a life that's filled with life? Or is your life simply characterized by the fact that you're not dead? That I think might be a, a much healthier version of understanding what this whole project called humanity and where, where Hashem fits in our lives. So in order to do that, I, I want to um, introduce this book. Um, this book is uh, written by a, a, a Jungian analyst. Her name is Anne Belford Ulanov. Um, if you're not very familiar with, uh, with Jungian uh, theory, it might be difficult to read, but she's, she's a, um, a very soft and beautiful writer. And she wrote a book called The Uncharted Heart. And from that book, I want to discuss two different definitions that she uses of deadness. If we're going to talk about dead or alive, if we're going to talk about being dead inside or being alive inside, we have to define these terms. So in order to do that, let's define deadness first. So she defines deadness as two different, two different aspects. And we'll talk a little bit about what, the, what these things mean. So this is the first source that we have are, are some quotes that I, I brought from her, from her book. So the first thing she says is deadness as a loss of subjectivity, right? So we all know the difference between subjectivity and objectivity. To be a subject means to be a, a human being, right? So my subjective experience is my experience as a human being that's different and unique and separate from all other beings, as opposed to being an object, which means that I am, are my isness as a human being is less valuable than the truth of reality. To, to have objectivity means to be able to remove myself, to remove my ego from any situation and be present enough with reality on reality's terms. So she, Yulanov, recognizes the possibility of deadness, of being dead as a subject and also being dead as an object, meaning every one of us need both the subjective experience in life and we also need the openness to be objective and see reality on reality's terms. 
On the one hand, I want to paint reality with all of who I am, with all my uniqueness, my personality, my idiosyncrasies, my deficiencies, my successes, my talents, my strengths, my failures. That's subjectivity. And objectivity is the ability to remove all of that and see life on life's terms and to hold and bear witness to all of life on life's terms. So this is how she defines deadness as both a loss of subjectivity and deadness as a loss of objectivity. So these quotes, I mean, I put the, I put the page numbers down. These quotes are, are there's other pieces I'm, I, I left out, but just for us, I think these are a very poignant um, definitions. So deadness as loss of subjectivity. We can lose the space of aliveness, right? We can be dead when we do not bring our subjective self into responding, reacting, depending, inventing, and, me and, me and meditating on what we experience. We lose the space of aliveness when we stop doing the things like responding to life, responding to people, when we stop reacting, even impulsively, when we stop reacting, when we stop depending. If I can't depend on anyone, I can't recognize that my life is dependent on you and your life is dependent on me. When I stop inventing and creating, and, and to me, the, one of the most important things is when I stop meditating on what we experience, on what being able to reflect on what my experience is, we restrict our reactions to stay safe and to survive. This is deadness. No play happens. We lose the fun of living. No interest is taken in our actual experience, so nothing is received from it. Again, that's a powerful line. No interest is taken in our actual experience, so we, nothing is received from it. We don't receive from our actual experience, and no one else receives around us from our actual experience because we don't take any interest in our actual experience. The name of the book is called The Unshuttered Heart. We avoid looking at our patterns of self-sabotage and just feel randomly tossed about by what happens. We're like, like, a, like a, a boat in the middle of the middle of the ocean, simply just thrown about with whatever random waves come our way. We do not look into our pain to seek the depths of its beginnings. We look at our dreams as if from afar, perceive our lives as a movie reel before which we are merely spectators. This definition of deadness is a definition of loss of human dignity a loss of reflection, a loss of the, the ability to be contemplative in our lives, to be lost in rote, in doing whether it's our religious things in life or it's our non-religious things in life, but simply going through life feeling chaotic and fragmented because we essentially don't exist. We're just victims. And really in this definition of deadness, we become objects. I'm an object that is simply reacting to every nuance, every situation, every stimuli that gets sent my way, I react. I essentially don't exist. I'm simply a slave. I'm an object to all the things that are around me. That's deadness as a loss of subjectivity. I'm not alive anymore. I don't exist. My existence is essentially rendered meaningless. So I, there's no more fun. There's no more excitement. Experience means nothing. I don't know how to reflect on anything. I don't reflect on anything. I don't see the importance of reflecting on anything. I shared this with you, with you before, 
the Ria Kaddish says that the reason why Hashem had Shabbos, what, what was the whole purpose of Shabbos? Hashem doesn't need to rest. The purpose of Shabbos is Hashem sending a message into the, into the world that when you take a step into creativity, you take a step into action, when you take a step into responsibility and success and being involved in all the things that you do, you immediately lose a part of yourself because then you have to focus. You have to hone in on whatever it is that you're doing and you need to focus. And that focus, that any sense of focus means that you lose a little bit of your own subjectivity. Shabbos is about going back to yourself, returning back to yourself. It's not resting. It's returning back to your being as opposed to doing. So subjectivity is my ability to reflect on who I am, my ability to reflect on all the things I've just done and reconnect back to the essence of who I am. Deadness as a loss of subjectivity means that I can't do that. Shabbos is also all just about malacha. It's all just about halacha. It's all just about how much, how much I can eat or sleep. It's, it's, it loses all of its flavor and all of its life. That's one form of deadness. Deadness as a loss of subjectivity. A little bit later on, Yulanov discusses deadness as a loss of objectivity. And here she says, afraid of drifting off into nothingness, afraid no one will be there to depend on, we grab hold of a, this is the key word, we grab hold of a something and cling to it with, fixi with fixity of purpose. Again, afraid of drifting off into nothingness, afraid no one will be there to depend on, we grab hold of a, of a something and cling to it with fixity of purpose. We grab hold of anything. It doesn't make a difference what it is. We grab hold of something and we cling to it with fixity of purpose. That means we become fixed and completely unflexible with the, with the religious zeal of purpose. We make a something to defend against nothingness. Because I'm afraid of nothing, I, I make a something. Whatever my something is, Right, we it's in in our we can certainly identify this in our in our uh, culture. How many people develop a shita about something, and they take that shita and make that shita about their whole life? We make a something to defend against nothingness. We fasten on to one solution to the argument or labor dispute. Only this view, my view, our view is right. We lose all objectivity. So that's the other side of deadness, right? The first side of deadness is subjectivity. I lose my sense of self. I don't know, I don't value, I don't have any capacity to see any rhythm in my inner life. I don't see that my life means anything. I don't reflect. It's, it's meaningless, whatever my experience is, so long as I just chug through and get through my day. That's a deadness of my subjectivity and a deadness of objectivity is because I fear my own emptiness, because I fear being an object, because I fear being an object, I make my life about one particular thing. It could even be making my life about God. I make my life about one thing. I make my life about some view, some opinion. I hate Fauci. I love Fauci. Whatever, whatever the view is, I hold on to my opinion with such a fixity of purpose that I have no capacity to see anything other than 
that Indian, that Shita, right? It's the objectiveness that makes it. It looks. It looks like I'm adding subjectivity to the objectivity, except that, as we'll see, we'll see in a minute or two, it's it's the opposite of subjectivity. It's actually taking one little tiny aspect of who I am and blowing it up and saying, "This is all. This is everything. I am completely one hundred percent fill in the blank." Right? It's it's a lot of what identity politics is today. Right? That anybody can stand up and say, I am a fill in the blank. Already, we're talking about a, a, a person who has grabbed on to something to compete with the nothingness that I feel. Right? That the, to me, the, the keywords of this sentence is we make a something to defend against nothingness. A something. Doesn't matter, matter what that thing is. Doesn't matter what that thing is. I make a something to defend against nothingness. I make Sneas, I make Lashon Hara, I make uh, Shatans, I make uh, Shemitah, whatever it is my thing is. Now, again, we're not talking about someone who adopts a mitzvah. We can adopt a mitzvah, that's fine. But the question is, is how much of that thing that I've gotten so engaged in, how much of that blinds me? How much of that do I become obsessed with? How much of that do I do to the exclusion of other things? If I have no energy, to be Mekayim any other mitzvah because I'm so busy dealing with, with, with Lashon Hara, then I've, I've missed the boat, right? We have 613 mitzvahs. We don't have one, right? So when you make your religion about one, then you're, you're not flexible. What you've done is you've made a something to combat the nothingness. And again, that's not, this is, we're not talking about religion. We're just talking about human, human function. This is internal human function. The loss of my ability to be objective, that is to see the world with an openness, with a curiosity, with an interest, with having some sense of knowing that the world is much, much larger than the sum total of anything. The world and everything that exists in the world is much larger than anything. The Shlach says that we have 248 mitzvahs. And every one of those 248 mitzvahs has in it 248 mitzvahs. So he says that when a person is makayim any mitzvah, regardless of that mitzvah, when a person is makayim any mitzvah, lishma, that means that the person is completely aligned with God in that moment, and their ego is in, is in the right place, and their neshama is completely exposed, and they're, they're, they're connecting to Hashem, and they understand what it is, the mitzvah that they're doing, and they're, they're able to be transformed through that act, in that one mitzvah, you can be mekayim all the mitzvahs, all the all the mitzvahs I say that exist in the Torah. So I could keep shot, I could keep, uh, um, I could shake a lulav, and in my shaking a lulav, I can also be eating matzah. And in that moment, I can also be be uh, mekayim mitzvah shavas because every mitzvah is a portal to every other mitzvah. That's an extreme example of objectivity. That's my ability to be in one place and connect to everything else that exists in this world. That's, that openness is objectivity. That's not subjectivity, right? Subjectivity is myself imposed on the world. Objectivity is the opposite. It's me removing myself from the world and allowing myself to be free from anything that binds me. In or, the deadness of objectivity is when I become so fixed and so rigid on something so specific that I can't see beyond it. And so, 
I mean, I, I just had this conversation about uh, with with someone about about the upcoming Nefesh conference. So it's a it's a conference for mental health professionals. It's going to take place in a few weeks, and the whole conversation was like, what are the COVID policies? And one person I was having this conversation with said to me, um, um, the foolishness of their of their irresponsibility just you know it's just it just boggles my mind. And so I said to her, I understand that if people are irresponsible, it's foolish, but you've determined that they're irresponsible. Like who said that they're irresponsible? She's like, well, that, that's not really up for discussion. I mean, if they're not going to have vaccines, you know, if they don't require vac vaccination cards, that's just irresponsibility. I said, I, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but I think that's part of what the disagreement's about. Like I really think this is a disagreement. She couldn't understand that there was, that there's a disagreement. In her mind, it's a fixed point. And everyone else misses, misses the boat. This is what is exactly what's happening in the world today, right? But anywhere you look in the world today, there is no dialogue. Everyone has a fixed point, and then they just prove their point. And when you have a conversation with them, they just find a way to make you either feel like you're an idiot or just to, to show distance. I'm not you, you're not me. There's no dialogue. If you would take those two things and start like, correct, would be like that's poorly written dialogue because they're not even interact. Correct, exactly, exactly, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So that's deadness as loss of objectivity. Okay, so now we have two definitions of deadness. So we're going to go into our next. Um, into our next uh, uh, source. Thank you, Maramakam. This comes from the Sefer Tzemach Tzedek, from, the, uh, from one of the Lubavitcher Rebbes. And, it's, uh, and the Sefer is called Derech Secha. I, I, I quoted this specifically because anyone that thinks that, uh, that our tzaddikim did not understand modern psychology. So this is, this is uh, a, a, an important point. So he says like this, Yesh Adam, there are people, she'ikr chiyusam, their major uh, life force, their greatest excitement in life, hu kishapoylem din b'bnei adam. There are people whose entire life, their entire chiyus and excitement in life comes about when they sit in judgment of another human being. There are people, right? We know people like this. People whose entire existence they're fed completely, entirely by their ability to sit in judgment of another human being. Kenira b'chosh, she says, like we see in reality, we see this. Kasher yikra levnei adam halalu, when these people meet, anashim oivri avera, when these people who get their chiyos from being sitting in judgment of others, when they meet people who do averas, take off right away, mischamim libam, they get so excited, they get so warm in, their, in the cockles of their heart. They get so excited. And they get filled with anger. They get filled with rage and anger. To punish the Balavera. And to, and to beat them up with, with tremendous stubbornness. And to really, it could lead to, to them killing them. It has to be on their hands. It's not enough to raise the, the flag and say, you know, that person did something wrong. They're the ones that have to go meet out the punishment, right? It's people that sit in judgment of others, 
people who criticize others and then take that criticism and go straight to the Baladera because I'm a Kanoi and I 100%, it's my job to point out how you screwed up. And they get no comfort. They get no comfort until they can go out and mete out the punishment and exact the, their evil punishment on the person who did something wrong. So Tzemach Tzedek said, why, why do such people exist? What is their psychology? Because those judgmental people themselves, their teva, their nature itself is evil. Al-Kain, now if he was lived more modern, modern in modern times, he wouldn't say that their teva was ra. He would say that the ra that is in them, the ra that is in them has never been integrated, right? There, that person, the, that kanoi, that person who sits in judgment, who needs to be in judgment and is, is at every moment where other people transgress, that person is a person who has not integrated his own, his own evil. He does, has not, or she has not made peace with their own evil inside. Okay, that ra, that evil that the other person did, right? So people who sit in judgment and criticism of, other, of others, what's happening when I, right? When I, the, the, the punisher, when I, the punisher, watch you, the balavera, do that avera, what gets enacted in me is your evil. You did evil, I react. It sparks something in me. That ra that's in me, that I'm sorry, that ra that you did that ra that you did now excites me. You gave me life. I saw your ra and now I get really excited. I'm so excited by the fact that you screwed up. It's amazing to me. You have now enacted me. You have enacted that ra within me. Without your evil, if, I, if you didn't do evil, me, the critic, me, the punisher, has no life. Me, the guy who sits in judgment, me, the person who sits in the back of the shul making fun of everyone, me, the person who sits on a blog and writes all the, about all the negative things that happen in Klai Yisrael, me, the person who sits around the Shabbos table and does nothing but talk Lashon Hara, me, the person who sits in my head and judges every one of you who is not as perfect as I am. What's happening, he says, is that when you do something wrong, you're enacting my evil in me. My, my need to vilify you is simply a, a, a reaction to the fact that, that you got me all excited. You got me excited because you did Navera. And when I go out to kill you, when I make fun of you, or I knock you, or I exclude you from, your, from, from, from my shul, or I exclude you and I reject you and neglect you because you're a balavera. You, I have now just gotten a whole new chias. So by my, my murdering you, I have now just gotten a whole new chias. Because that's my whole life. And he goes on to say that even though you would think that I'm standing up the shame shemayim and I want to make a point and say Hashem doesn't like this, even though that's what it would seem like, I'm coming out with Taichacha and I'm giving Musr and I'm saying blah, 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 blah. So he brings a medrash that says that Ra does not descend from heaven. He says that the whole purpose of, of God punishing anyone at best is for the sake of Rafua. 
the only reaction that Hashem has to anything in this world is Racham. Hashem doesn't get angry, clearly not, with the, 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 the vociferous rage that people enter in, in their own judgmentalism and criticism of others. Hashem doesn't do that. Hashem doesn't sit like that. Hashem doesn't think that way. Hashem is Kula Rachman. So when Hashem sees someone sinning, the first reaction Hashem has is, oh my God, what's wrong? What's wrong? What happened? What's going on with you? Come here. Let's talk. Let's figure this out. Let's see. Let's see what's happening. But that anger that seems to be so motivated, L'shem Shemayim, he says, has nothing to do with Hashem. That has to do with your inability to integrate your own evil. I need to stand up and vilify Russia A, Russia B, Russia B, whatever it is. Each one of us with our own causes that, that we sit in our minds and judge people, right? We can even sit and judge the judger, right? I, I could sit here and, and yell about the judger because within me, I haven't fully dealt with my own judgmentalism, right? I, I, was, just, I was just sitting with, uh, with, a, with two family members and one of them said to the other, you know, you're so judgmental that you made that comment. You're so judgmental. And I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, like the person who made whatever comment they made has, doesn't have a judgmental bone in their body, right? It's like an immediate family, family member. They don't have a judgmental bone in their body. The listener who thought that that, that person was being judgmental, you see how you're all nodding your head. So like that person was the person who was judgmental, right? It's a projection. You're judgmental. I'm projecting onto you that, my own judgment. Mum Yeah. So what he's saying here is, is that is that what we see, we see this happening all the time, especially in our community, where people get an Indian that they get angry about, that they judge. And what's happening really is the judger, the critic, the punisher is simply getting excited because they now have seen somebody else's evil. And it's not a matter of jealousy. It's a matter of evil attracts evil. Energy attracts energy. So my getting angry at what you messed up at and my yelling at you is actually giving me chiyas. I now have chiyas from it. That's deadness as a loss of objectivity. That's an example of deadness, right? That's an example of my inability to be open and receive the world. Good. <laughs> Good, I'm asking in terms of like our understanding. All right, so we're gonna keep going. Now, before we go to the next to the next piece, <clears throat> I want to skip to the to what aliveness is. So we're gonna skip a source and then come back to it. So now she described deadness, deadness as loss of subjectivity. Deadness as a loss of objectivity. We see in here from this teaching from the Tzemach Tzedek a reflection on deadness, a reflection on um, getting stuck and fixated on one particular thing and then lashing out at other people and his, and his clear recognition that A, that's not godly, that's very human, and it comes from a place of Ra. It's not, it's not the way it's meant to be. Any knee-jerk reaction we have to someone else's mess up or someone else's failure is on me. And even the, the sophisticated, great, grandiose way that I can come up to make a cheshman why that person is wrong and not doing what Hashem wants and whatever a sifa I could create with 90,000 people coming 
to listen and talk about it, it's all reflecting something in me. I'm not saying that our leaders shouldn't be giving muster. What I'm saying is, is that there's such, a, there's such an idea of a deadness that could look like it's godliness, but it's completely not godliness. And you can scream from the rooftops that it's all about God. There's nothing to do with God. It has to do with my, my lack of integrating some, some sense of evil, some sense of insecurity, some sense of something that's missing for me. So that's deadness. Let's move to talking about her definition of aliveness. Now, this is not a complete definition, but this is what Yulinov calls aliveness. So we're going to skip this, uh, this next source, and we're going to go down to the, the, the one after, and then we'll come back. Aliveness, Yulinov says, aliveness comes down to one thing. One thing. Consenting to rise, right? Agreeing to rise, consenting to rise, to be dented, to be impressed pressed in upon, to rejoin. That's another way of saying to respond. To open, to ponder, to to be where we are in this moment and see what happens. Allowing the breath of not knowing to be taken. Wanting to see what is there and what is not there. Aliveness springs from our making something of what we experience and receiving what makes of us. And we have to read this again. There's, there's like a, an, entire, an entire Tanakh in these words. It's not one thing. It's not one thing. Well, because the, 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 um, essentially she's saying that aliveness, aliveness is openness. It's openness to experience, to be present in experience. Aliveness comes down to one thing. Right, they're right, right. It's like, you know, it's like, don't, don't do what I do. Yeah, okay, so I understand what you mean. But, but basically, it, it, is, it is really one definition. Aliveness comes down to one thing, consenting to rise. That means to rise to the occasion. That means to be assertive. That means to be creative. It means to be productive. It means waking up in the morning and being ready to engage in my day. Not to be a victim to my day, not to fall through my day, not to be a victim to the waves of the situations of whatever happens. My mood is not dependent on what happens. My mood is dependent on what I make of it. Consenting to rise, to be dented. To be dented means to be hurt, to be vulnerable enough to, be, to, uh, to have my, my psyche smashed by something, by someone else. Impressed, to be impressionable. To wake up and know that I might learn something today from someone I never agreed with. I might engage in a conversation and know exactly what that other person is going to say. And then the person didn't say exactly what I thought. And it turns out that the person said something that was so brilliant that if I'm in the space of being able to reflect and I'm honest and vulnerable enough to reflect, I could realize that that person says something that is so unbelievably Meaningful to me that if I if I'm tuned into it, it could save my life. Rabbi Nachman says that a that there's such a thing that a tzaddik could be sitting in one place and thinking about something, and he has a question and something in the Torah, and he doesn't know the answer to it. And a tzaddik sitting across the world, and he's thinking about some idea in Torah, which is an answer to what the first tzaddik's question was. The two tzaddikim don't know about it at all, 
but Hashem makes it somewhere, somehow in the world that person A had question A and person B had the answer to question A. And that he says, he has a whole beautiful Torah about how, how the Torah itself is like, a, is like a tapestry and the Jews are all connected to each other. But that's, it, there, there's, a, there's certainly a spiritual cosmic reality that things that I do can affect you. Like when I was growing up, my grandmother literally did used to say this. Like, how could you leave this behind? There are kids in Africa that are starving, right? So I, I had that grandmother. But there really is truth to that, right? It's the Buddhists call this karma. But we're, we're, we're talking about something that's much holier than karma. We're talking about Hashem working things out in the world with a complete cheshben that says that the things that I do somewhere, somehow are going to have a ripple effect somewhere in the world. I don't know where. And the things you do are do the same. And if my ability to ripple can make an impression on you and your ability to ripple makes an impression on me, that's an amazing thing. If you, if you ever buy a lake and you take a, a stone and throw like a little pebble into the lake and then watch the way the ripples go, it's really beautiful. But try this. If you take a stone and throw it in and then you take another stone and throw the other stone in and then watch how the ripples ripple together, it's, an, it's a remarkable thing to watch that the ripples can ripple through each other and they don't destroy each other, right? That's, that's aliveness. My ability to ripple at my, at my frequency and your ability to ripple at your frequency and we can impress each other. Aliveness comes down to one thing, consenting to rise, to be dented, impressed, pressed in upon. To be impressed means I am me and you're you and we impress each other. To be pressed in upon means it's more than that. It's to be dented, but not in a negative way. To be pressed in upon means that I, I actually change. I transform. There's something about me that's now very different. To rejoin. To rejoin means to dialogue. You say, I say. I say, you say. There's an I and thou. There's a me and you. To open. I've, I've shared this with you guys before. In my office, I have uh, a uh, not that many quotes, but I have a sign that uh, was from Walt Whitman. My mother bought it for me. Um, the sign says, be curious, not judgmental. And to me, that is the key to everything that there is, certainly to live a contemplative and reflective life, to be open and not judgmental. To be judgmental means that I have an agenda. I bring my agenda, right? This is what she meant with deadness as loss of objectivity. I bring my agenda to the situation and I project my agenda on reality. So I'm, I am me, this is my identity. And so I will interact with the world based on the glasses of my identity, but I'm never curious. Aliveness comes down to open, to ponder. To ponder means to wonder, to think about, to be able to what Heschel calls to be in a state of radical amazement, to know that there are things that can happen that might shock me, to be where we are in this moment and see what happens. That's mindfulness. Allowing the breath of not knowing to be taken. I don't like uh, uh, touching up other people's words, but there's a little play on words here. Allowing the breath of not knowing to be taken. That means, A, to allow myself to be in a state of not knowing that my breath can be taken away. And it also means to be able to breathe a breath of not knowing, to be okay and free and not knowing. Wanting to see what is there and what is not there. I'm curious. I look around. I look around. It's a story from the, the from the Kedushas Levi I shared with you once about how he would cut. He would. He said he would always come into shul and he'd look around at all the people 
before he started to davening. So, you know, it's, it's very easy to stare at others, but there's also, there is something to people watching, just to be curious. It's a curiosity, right? So it's a guilty pleasure, but it's a curiosity just to see. I'm just curious. I want to see. It's interesting to see. I, I used to wonder about this when I would take my, my boys to shul when they were younger and they would always be staring and I would, wasn't sure if I should like correct them or not. And I realized they're curious. It's just curiosity. It's not staring. I don't want to stop them. I want them to, to be curious. Aliveness springs, and this is, this is the key point of aliveness. Aliveness springs from our making something of what we experience and receiving what makes of us. Aliveness springs from our making something. Remember, deadness is to take a something to defend against nothingness. Deadness is no interest in taking, in, in no interest is taken in our actual experience. So nothing is received from it. That's deadness. Aliveness means I make something of my experience. My experience means something. And maybe no one else in the world sees it. Maybe no one else in the world acknowledges my experience. That's okay, right? That would, that, that's what I think most of what therapists end up doing is that we spend a tremendous amount of time helping people make something of their experience. Your experience is valid. It means something. Own it. Live with it. Let, it. let it affect you. Let it fill you up, right? Fulfillment happens through my ability to say that this that I experienced is meaningful to me not for any other reason other than it was my experience. If I, if I, if I am valid as a, as a human being, that when I, that then what I experience is valid. If I am valid as a worker, then my success is valid. If I am valid as a friend, then my friendship is valid. My ability to reflect on that and remind myself and come back to myself and slow the rhythm of the day down and, and relax from the stress and the busyness of everything that I do, I'm able to tune back into where I can experience the sense that everything I experience is meaningful. Aliveness springs from our making something of what we experience. So now let's go into Rav Kook. And that's the, that's the source right before. Sarach <clears throat> Adam, and this is such, such, uh, all of this is really, everything we've just done is just a hakdama to these words from Rav Kook, right? This is where it's really where things get exciting. And this is really the crux of the question. Does Hashem care about whether or not we are dead or alive? So here Rav Kook is teaching us. A person must win, overcome. The chalishus hanafshus shebekirbo, the deadness, the weakness, the faintness within our hearts. Tzarech adam lenatzeach es chalishus hanafshus shebekirbo. Va'afilu Rav Kook says, im hibaa mitzad kedusha v'yir shemayim. Even if that deadness comes from kedusha and yir shemayim, right? Remember the last or two two years ago we talked about yir psula, about having yir shemayim. That makes you feel worse. Europe Sula. Asr Adam, right? What was the what was the word? Asula Adam, Yurashamayim, if it's gonna make him feel, if it's gonna make him feel less. Sarak Adam Lanatsech is a Khalisha Sanafsha Shabikira, Bafilim he bomb it's like Kadusha Yurashamayim. Even if 
This is this is Rav Kook in 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 Kovitz. In Shmona Kvatzim Kovitz Ches in the eighth journal, number ninety-two. Tzadik Beis again. Tzarchanu Natsechas Achalishas Hanafshes Shabikirbei. A person has to win over the faintness, the deadness that we carry within ourselves. Even if that deadness comes from something of Kedushan Yerushimayim. Deadness is a bad midah, the cook says. Because it makes us lose all of our desire, all of our potential, all of the energy that keeps us moving forward, inspiring us, and all of our idealism and all of the holy milus that we could reach. This is a this is a, a biggest side. Every human being that has grown, every human being that has grown, somewhere somehow has the potential to go back to being what they once were. It's not just addicts that need to contend with the the possibility of them going back to their addiction. Any human being that has grown has the capacity to fall back. If I don't contend with deadness, then I could lose all the madragas that, that I've ever had. Deadness, to be dead, means that I'm, I have opened up the door to the possibility of going back to my worst self, the worst stage I've ever been at. That's deadness. Because deadness is a, is a terrible midah, that makes us lose all of our excitement and our interest and our hunger for going forward and all of the milas of Kedusha. A person has to work to purify and clarify his, his, the midah of Yer Shemayim and his fear of Chet. That there should be nothing, there should be nothing in our Yer Shemayim and our Yer Chet that contains within it Deadness and faintness. Hashem oizla amayitan. Hashem gave to us strength. Hashem marks us with strength. Hashem says to us, I want you to be alive. I want your life to be alive, to be a life that's lived. We're not talking about here a specific mitzvah. We're talking about what the what the Pasik says that Hashem gave the turrets and he said, to live a life that is vibrant, to be alive. Her definition of aliveness applies very much to what Rav is saying. Don't be dead on the inside. So you think that Hashem wants you to be Mekayim the Torah, and regardless of what the human state, the human experiences of how you're being Mekayim the Torah, you would think that Hashem doesn't really care. Be an Evan Hashem. You yourself are an object. What is your, what is your objective? Your objective is to bring about whatever it is Hashem asks of you, regardless of what the Evid feels like, Hashem makes sure he gives us some good things so that we could be able to serve Hashem, right? That's many of us, I was raised that way, to be told that all the good things that I have, all the good things that I have in my life were given to me only for the sake of serving Hashem, which to an impressionable, insecure human being that could sound like your existence doesn't matter. You exist for an objective. You are an object that exists for an objective. And therefore, we don't really care if you're dead or alive inside. So all this share, all this conversation boils down to completely this question of, are you alive? 
or not. Because if you're not alive and you're dead, in the words of Rav Kook, it's a midorah. Even if that aliveness, even if that deadness feels like it's coming from a, a holy place, but that in and of itself is a midorah. That's a bad midah. Don't have that midah. The question of mysterious nefesh is, once I'm alive, I could choose to surrender. So, so Chana asked the question of Messias Nefesh, and that goes literally straight into the next source, which blew my mind out of the water. So the next source is a Gemara. So we're going to learn a Gemara together. This, is, this to me is the quintessential aliveness. And any time that we learn about Messias Nefesh, we learn about the Asara Haruge Malchus, and it's a theme that we have on Tisha B'av and we have in Yom Kippur, the, the, the tzaddikim that gave the neshamas up, l'shem shemayim, and really it goes back to a discussion about Avram and Yitzchak. Yitzchak is the paradigm of the person who was, who was Meiser's own nefesh. The nesayon of the Akedah is not called the nesayon of Yitzchak, it's called the nesayon of Avraham, because Yitzchak was Meiser nefesh. And to be Meiser nefesh for a person who's alive is not a problem. Avram was asked to kill someone but to be moister nefesh from a place of aliveness, as we'll see in a minute, that's not, that's not such a high madrega. I mean, it, it, it's a very high madrega. But if you are alive, then that means you have the capacity to traverse between this world and the next world. You're okay with it. A person who's able to be moister nefesh means that I am curious enough to see what's there. I don't know what's going to be in hell. I don't know what's going to be in Gehenna. They tell me it's bad. When, I'm gonna, when I enter Gehenna, I'm going to look around the same way I look around when I walk into Shul. I'm curious. I want to see what's going on there. It's a very high darga we're talking about. When a person's Meister Nefesh, it's the opposite of deadness as a fixed or a fixity on purpose. To be Meister Nefesh truly means to say, in my aliveness, I, cre- I recognize that this is more important than that. And I'm not, it's, it's not chas v'shalom, an inner deadness. It's not an escape from reality. It's actually living reality on the highest madrega. Let's look at this Gemara. This is the Gemara at the end of Mayit Katan. The Gemara has a whole bunch of agadatas, beautiful stories about different Amaraim that interacted with the, with the Malach HaMavas. And listen to what this Gemara says, because it's, it's, I mean, a friend of mine pointed this out to me the other day, and we had this conversation, and it, it really, it really, his thought really blew my mind, and then and then I'll then I'll tell you what I what the way that I understand this. <laughs> the Gemara says Rabbi Chia loyhavi matzin lemekervile. The Malachamavas couldn't get close to Rabbi Chia. Rabbi Chia was was learning all day. The Malachamavas couldn't get close to him. Yoimachad, this is myit katan chafchesam and aleph. Yoimachad one day idmi lekaaniya, one day. The Malachamavas dressed himself up like a, like a poor person. He came and he knocked on Rabbi Chia's door. Amrle, he said to him, he said to the people who answered the door, Rifta, can I have a, 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 a slice of bread? Can I give Apikle Rifta, give me bread, right? So the Malachamavas is now appearing to Rabbi Chia's household as a poor person, and he says, Give me a piece of bread. Apikule. So they give him a piece of bread. Omar lay. The Malach says to Rabbi Chia, the lav mar an anya, aren't you a person who has good Rachmanis on a poor person? Don't you have Rachmanis on a poor person? Ahu gavra, that man, meaning that the Malach who was dressed up like an ani, is said to Rabbi Chia, that man, that means 
the Malachamavis, Amayla Kamarachemar. How come you, Rabbi Chia, don't have Rachmanis on the Malachamavis? Meaning, Malachamavis is waiting to kill you. He's, wait, he's, wait, he's waiting to do his job. You're busy learning Torah. I can't get close to you. Don't you have Rachmanis on him? He's waiting. Malachamavis is waiting. Ahu Gavra, Amayla Kamarachemar. How come you don't have Rachmanis on the Malachamavis? I just showed up to you like an Ani, and for an Ani, you have Rachmanis. But, but the, the Malachamavis, you don't have Rachmanis? Galilei, so the, so the Malachamavis revealed himself to Rebichia. He showed him a, a stick of fire, right? Like the devil's, the, the, all the cartoons we have about the devil. He showed him the, the, his stick of fire. And what did Rebichia do? Rebichia gave him his life. So now listen to what listen to what what's going on here. It's 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 literally mind boggling. It's mamish mind boggling. How did Rabbi Chia die? Rabbi Chia was Meiser Nefesh. The Malchamavus didn't take his life. Amtsile Nafshe. Rabbi Chia gave him his life. The Malchamavus didn't take it. It didn't say he gave him Rishus to take it. Amtsile Nafshe. Rabbi Chia took his life and gave it to him. Why did he give him his life? What was the what was the whole conversation? The conversation was a question of Rachmanis. So now we have the aside, right? The aside is that if 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 there's a question of my life versus your life, my life's more important, right? If, if the, the according to Jewish law, if the two of us are in a desert and there's only enough water for one of us to survive, it's my job to save myself. I'm not meant to save you. So here comes the Malachamavis and he says. You don't have Rachmanis on me. I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I need. I need to. I need your life. I'm supposed to collect your life. You don't have Rachmanis on me. Rabbi says, "Oh, oh, oh, oh! You're right. You're right, sir. I, I have Rachmanis on you. I, I gave you a piece of bread. Oh, you want my life too? I'll give you. I, I'll give you my life. I'll give you my life." If we learn this Gemara as Rabbi Chia is dead on the inside, and Rabbi Chia's life is simply floating, today the Malachamavas came. Yesterday. An Ani came, a day before uh, this one came, the day before that, that one came. I'm just floating through life, you know, kind of just doing my thing, but I'm not tuned into anything. I'm, I'm dead as a loss of subjectivity. Then this Gemara wouldn't, wouldn't really mean anything, right? If he just gave his life up because the Malachamavis asked for it, they really wouldn't, that really wouldn't make it into the Gemara. There's nothing meaningful about that. If it would be the other way around, Rabbi Chia really had an existential angst. And this was suicide based, you know, this is just suicide in a compassionate way. That also wouldn't make it into the Gemara. The, the Gemara is talking about here is, is quintessentially the Indian of Messir's Nefesh. And the Indian of Messir's Nefesh works like this. The Malach HaMavis is the Yetzirah. Every one of us wants to in some way, shape, or form, because it's built into our and our our psychological anatomy, wants to reject the Yetzirah. I have an impulse for fill in the blank. I want to eat cardboard, and I don't want to tell anyone that I like to eat cardboard. It's my own little craziness that I have in, in myself. I'm embarrassed about it. I'm shameful about it. I don't want anyone to know. I would like to eat. This is a safe space. Thank you so much. I feel very held and contained. That that I like to eat cardboard. My reaction to my desire to eat cardboard is to reject, is to reject. I want to reject. My whole life I'm trying to reject. Reject, 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 reject. Jung talks all about the shadow. 
the shadow is, is, is not just the bad parts of ourselves. It's, it's everything about ourselves that we're not so aware of. I wish I could kill the parts of me that lead me to do the worst things that I, that I, that I can. And I might even think that the Torah wants me to do that. Sur meirah, reject, leave, run away from all, all evil. We hate evil. We want to hate, we hate evil. I would think that Judaism asks us to reject evil. I would think that Judaism wants me to kill off a certain part of myself and comes along this Gemara and says something completely different. The Malachamava says, the Malachamava says, the Eid Sahara says, you know, I'm waiting for you. And you're rejecting me. And Rabbi Chia says, wait, one minute. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. You can't get close to me because I'm learning Tyra. It's my time to go. I understand it's my time to go. I am going to choose what, how to interact with you. I am going to have Rahmanas on you. Don't think that I'm out to reject you. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not killing you. If you tried to kill the Malach HaMavis, what you're basically saying is you are killing a part of yourself. You're killing that part of yourself that you don't want to see. Everyone's afraid of the Malach HaMavis. The Malach HaMavis is the Yitzhahara. That's the part of ourselves that we don't like. That's the part we wish we could kill. It's the part that we wish would be dead. And because we wish, we, because we wish it would be dead, it has no choice but to kill us. The Yitzhahara that makes me feel like I'm worth nothing makes me feel like I'm worth nothing because I make it feel like it's worth nothing. My inability to integrate and to sublimate and to be full and complete with myself, to be accepting of myself, is what keeps the Sahara at me day in and day out, day in, day out, repetitively, over and over and over and over and over again. The first step in my dealing with the Sahara is my ability to integrate. I want him, I want her to be a part of me. I want to figure out what's going on there. I want to be curious. What is happening in that world of the Yitzhahara? What is happening in that world of the Malach HaMavas? I want to ponder. I want to be open. I want to contemplate. I want to reflect. I want to understand. I want to know, what are you about? What are you offering me? I don't want you to kill me, and I don't want to kill you. Rabbi Chia is busy, engaged in all kinds of idealistic behavior. And the, the Malach HaMavas comes by, the Yitzhahara comes by and says, hello, I'm waiting for you. We have to have a conversation. It would seem as if Rabbi Chia rejected his Yetzirah, and the Yetzirah said, Malachim said, hey, wait, come here. The whole story is found in those last words, Amtsi Le'nafshe. Rabbi Chia said, no, 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 I'm not rejecting you. Here, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself. The Mesiris Nefesh is, is symbolic in so that every one of us has the capacity to turn to those impulses and those parts of ourselves that we want to kill and say, I'm going to give you my, myself. I'm going to give you my koichas. I'm going to give you my talent. I'm going to give you my reflection. I'm going to give you my time of day. I'm going to give you my contemplation. I'm going to research. I'm going to get, I'm going to get help. I'm going to figure out what to do with you because I want to have Rachmanas on you. Because you are deserving of Rachmanas. Everything about you is deserving of Rachmanas. The Malach HaMavis is a Malach from Hashem. The Malach HaMavis is sitting there waiting and the Malach HaMavis is saying, hey, wait, what's going on? And Rabbi Chia says, I'm not rejecting you. Of course I have Rahmanus on you. I love you. You're a part of me. You're a part of the fabric of the world. If Hashem says it's time for me to go, I'm going. 
It's not a problem. I'm not fighting it. You only fight death if you're dead inside. You can only fight death if you're dead inside because then you're fearful of what goes on on the other side. But if you're fully alive, you fully have the capacity to look death in its face and say, you don't take me. No, 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 no. No, death only takes the person as a compulsion when you're not fully alive. I will give you myself. That's okay. You're here. No problem. Have a seat. Have a cup of coffee. Go to the bathroom. Do your thing. No problem. You got to move on to the next one. That's fine. Come for bring a little bit. We'll go together. No problem. I'm alive. I'm in charge. It's me. That, I think, is, is, is the way that we understand this Gemara. This is what it means to be fully alive. This is what Mesiris Nefesh means. This is what Yitzchak Avinu did. Avram said, Yitzchak, we're going. And Yitzchak says, I Oila, where's the where's the seh? And, and, and Avram says, oh, no, when we get there, Hashem will show us. The Madrashim point out that Yitzchak understood everything that's going on. And Yitzchak said, okay, fine, we're going. It's not the absence of life. It's to be fully alive and present, to be curious about every experience, even in death. So now we move to the, 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 the second to last piece. Because this whole story of Rabbi Chia obviously is a, is a discussion in and of itself. But for us to be able to recognize that death, inner deadness, is a midah ra'ah, the second to last piece, you know, we'll save Rav Cook for the last. We'll do, um, we'll do, uh, we'll do a, a little, a little poem. Antonio Machado. Is my soul asleep? Is my soul asleep? Have those beehives that work in the night stopped? Right, the beehives that work in the night is is our dreams, our unconscious mind. Has my unconscious mind stopped? Am I dead? He's asking. And the water wheel of thought, that thing that spins around, my thought, is it going around now, cups empty, carrying only shadows? Is my thought just spinning around like some kind of repetition compulsion, just over and over and over again, repetitively? Is it going around now, cups empty? There's nothing in there. It's just empty, mindless chatter, chaos, all kinds of insanity, just stupidity, deadness, carrying only shadows. Shadows are like fleeting impressions of reality that have nothing to do with anything. And he answers firmly, no, my soul is not asleep. It is awake, wide awake. It neither sleeps nor dreams, but watches. Watches. It's Yulina's aliveness, but watches. Its eyes wide open, far off things, and listens at the shores of the great silence listening to silence to hear what might be said or what might not be said. So we'll end with, these, with this quote from Rav Kook. Mazik ma'oyid lachasidim. Rav Kook in, 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 uh, in Koivitz Aleph, in the first journal, Ois Tzadi Aleph. Mazik ma'oyid lachasidim, Rav Kook says, it is tremendously destructive to chasidim. Malei gevuras Hashem people that are filled with the life force of God. To spend time to join together with what he calls anashim nemuchim, with low people. It doesn't mean people that are low in, in status, and it doesn't really mean people that are 
low in in uh, in um, that that do that do averus. He means dead people. Of course, is talking about dead people. What down people that are down or shallow. Mazik ma'oyla chasidim leleg vuras Hashem ha'eskabras haruchanius imaynashem anemuchem. It is destructive. It is very destructive to chasidim. That means people that are passionate and people that are filled with the strength and the energy and the life force of Hashem. Their interactions, their their gatherings together with shallow people. Sheyesh behem rak yirachitzainius that only have a shallow fearfulness, those people that are filled with an evil fear and with a, a very down, depressing, dead, deadness inside of them. That are spread, this kind of, this kind of deadness that is spread over the surface of their whole lives. It's very, very difficult to have conversations with those people. It is very, very painful for the soul to have conversations with those people. I'm assuming every one of us has talked to people like that, and maybe at some points were people like that. But it is very hard to daven with people like that. It is very hard to communicate and to commune. With people like that, who bechol in Yanei Kedusha and all in Yanim of Kedusha, b'tzarich hachana gedolim ma'oid, and you need to really, really prepare yourself. Magber is koyach haruchani to raise up your own spiritual strength. V'es ha'or ha'bahir ha'elikisha b'neshama, and the the clear light that burns inside your own neshama, l'man hagen al atzmai, in order to protect yourself. Shalei tishbal neshmasei aliyde hashiflus shel katnusam. That, so that you yourself don't get sucked into the deadness that those people carry. Because those people have no, no fiery desire or passion for anything. All they have is their deadness of their fear and their depression. Goes back to that piece in the Tzemach Tzadam. The people who's, who think, who are ter- totally turned on by by deadness, right? There's such a, a thing of people that are completely turned on by deadness. It's easy, as I as as we do this, it is easy to be uh, very judgmental of those shallow people. It is very easy to be judgmental of anashim numuchim and anashim pshutim. It's very easy to be judgmental of people that are critical and judgmental. It's uh, it's it's almost like a guilty pleasure we have of knocking the knockers, but. The whole, this whole sugya, this whole story is really a question of, of asking what is the stance that Hashem takes on our reality, on our lives? What is the, what is, what is Hashem, how does Hashem want us to experience life? Does Hashem want us to experience life as a complete object, dead internally, both subjectively and objectively, and that we essentially don't matter, our experience doesn't matter, or does Hashem want us to be alive? Is our life meant to be filled with aliveness? Many of us would make the case to say that God deadens, that God makes us feel heavy, and that freedom comes at the price of giving up God or the price of giving up Taramitzas. But this whole discussion in Rav Kook and Tzamach Tzedek, and, and I believe this Gemara, is the ability to say that it's the exact opposite. 
the life force of God is meant to keep us awake, is meant to give us inspiration, is meant to keep us alive. Is Hashem wants every one of us to be exploding with life, to be exploding with vibrancy, to be filled with curiosity and interest, and of course to have ideas and of course to have opinions about life and of course to have hierarchies and priorities and move through life, developing more maturity and becoming more set in what our goals are. Of course, he wants that. But at the same time, to always feel like every moment is a party. Every moment is, a, is, is 60 seconds. Every mitzvah I do, like the Shlach said, is every mitzvah that exists. That every moment has within it every other moment that ever existed and ever will exist. Because every moment is simply filled with life. And not chas v'shalom death. So our, our hope for, for all of us and our bracha for all of us is that we find answers to deadness. We find answers to those parts of ourselves that make us feel dead. And we find answers to the urge to kill off certain parts of ourselves. That we daven that Hashem helps us deal with the inner critic, have rachmanus on ourselves. And that those things that prevent us from feeling alive, those traumas, those memories, those experiences, those inner, inner contraptions that are set up to make us feel less than alive, that Hashem gives us the, the, the capacity to open that up so that we can be open to feeling alive the way that Hashem would like us to be, to be vibrant and curious and creative. And to recognize, it was somewhat sad, somebody asked me the other day, like, like you know, where does Mashiach fit into the whole picture of like Judaism? It's like, you know, Bishar and Einish, and there's like terimitzes, and you do your best. And when you die, you know, the world is a prize of Leilamah. But when you die, you get all the schar, you clean up all the all the stuff in Gehenna. I'm like, so what do we need Mashiach for? And I, I, I was very critical. I was very critical of him. But I, but I, I mean, I, I, the answer to that is, is that all of life is yearning to be fully alive. And the promise of Mashiach, the concept of Mashiach, as a concept, even if we don't believe that there, that there will be a Mashiach, but the whole concept of Mashiach is the ability to live in a state of aliveness, of tzipisa Yeshua, of wanting, desiring, of being in a space of, of both here and there, of in between, as, 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 as many call it. So that we can, be, we can get to that moment of when Mashiach comes, when every one of us will be fully alive with everything about us, even the good, even the good will be alive and even the bad will be alive in a most revealed and beautiful way. So that's our hope and bracha for all of us and all of humanity.